electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, it's Black Friday, or is it? This is a year to throw out all the rules. Like all things 2020, holiday shopping is about to look very different. Who wins over consumers? Big box retailers like Walmart or higher-end department stores? Saks' former CEO says discounters may have it easier. The department stores were a difficult sector coming into the pandemic. And they're going to continue to be struggling relative to some of the other category killers and the big box retailers. It's holiday season, which also means bonus season. Vanity Fair's Bethany McLean on who's getting an extra gift at work and who's going home empty handed. Private firms are going to have an opportunity to pay people in a way that the big publicly traded banks are not. Plus, Bitcoin's wild holiday ride, where it's been, where it's going and more importantly, where it's taking us. I would have thought hearing that the government wants to regulate it would have actually been a bullish sign long term for Bitcoin because it would have meant that it could be more and more mainstream. It's Friday, November 27th, 2020. Christmas is coming. Call it pent up joy demand. We've had our Christmas trees up for a week at this point. We got three this year. Squawk Pod begins right now. Welcome to Squawk Box. This is CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Steve Leisman. Joe's out today, but Steve, welcome. It's good to see you. Uh, really good to be here. Good Interesting times to be uh, hosting the show. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. This is a shameless plug, but we had we had NBC on for nine hours straight yesterday. We watched the parade, then watched the dog show, then watched the parade reruns again the next time around. My favorite commercial through the whole thing was the Comcast one, which I didn't know was a Comcast one until the end. Steve Carell as Santa Claus, trying to get up to date in this COVID time and figure out how to celebrate the holidays this time around. Best thing I ever saw. I missed that commercial. I will say, just because, you know, I'm a gadget freak. I don't know if anybody did this yesterday during during the um, parade. Verizon, which I think was a sponsor of the parade, had this um, app that you could go on where you could actually almost like AR. You could move your move the phone around or an iPad around and you could actually be on the ground right there where Savannah and Hoda were, and my kids had a ball with that. So we were, we were yeah. doing that like crazy, um, and it was, it was kind of fun. I was grateful for the parade, you know, like the one tradition that actually stayed this year. It was great. Anyway, guys. Today on the podcast, a Black Friday unlike any other. The day after Thanksgiving is traditionally the start of the holiday shopping season, and we've done years of CNBC reporting at 24-hour Walmarts, midnight mall door openings, best buys at 5 a.m. while shoppers haggle over discounted electronics. But with coronavirus cases surging across the U.S., retailers and the CDC are encouraging consumers to shop online. Stay away from the crowds. In fact, don't encourage them. Many brick-and-mortar stores and malls have limited hours and limited capacity, all to support social distancing measures. The National Retail Federation does expect an increase in holiday sales this year, something between 3 and 5% growth. Maybe we want to treat ourselves after a tough year, splurge on the good yoga pants. But millions of Americans remain unemployed and concerned about spending and about safety. Here's Steve Leisman. 
COVID restrictions may have put an end to the pre-dawn rush of people into the big box stores, but it doesn't mean this year's Black Friday is any less important to retailers. Bertha Coombs, joining us now from a mall in Paramus. Is there a big echo there, yeah, Bertha, or are there people there? That, well, we're seeing some cars pulling in. They opened at 7 a.m., so we're starting to see people trickle in. You know, it's interesting. Deloitte told us that Gen Z and millennials were more likely to shop in-store than online today on Black Friday. And we found out why when we found a small crowd gathered outside the entrance near the GameStop store this morning. Some of them had camped out overnight looking for the holy grail, a PS5, the one thing that they cannot find online. We all thought that uh, the PS5 was going to be on uh, short supply. But, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll each get one instead. That's all good. You know, that's what they do every year. All good, he said. The real expectation is that people are going to come to the mall today, for the most part, for curbside pickup. If you take a look at Edison Trends, some of those big mall stores are actually seeing a big spike. In the week leading up to Thanksgiving, Kohl's and Macy's actually picked up some share, and they are up more than 50% in terms of their online orders. But they're still not able to compete with the big box stores. They continue to outperform. Take a look at Target, up more than 160%. That's just in the past week. Uh, Best Buy, Walmart, Amazon up 65%. But bear in mind that Amazon has two-thirds of the market share, 10 times what Best Buy and Walmart have. But nonetheless, they are still seeing growth as well. And an update on that PS5 quest for the Holy Grail. We did find some folks who came right out uh, at 7.05 after the store opened. The manager said they didn't have any. Not sure if our friend Dean was able to get the one or two that was in there, but a lot of other folks say it was chaotic and they are out. Back to you. Bertha, you got to be kidding me. Those guys waited out all night in the cold since midnight, sitting on top of each other, went in and didn't get what they came for? They, they were lined up. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that's been happening with this whole PS5. In fact, you know, of course, they know how all this works. And they said, you can't get it online because the bots are in there ahead of you and pick all of them out. And then they resell them, marking them up. So they were hoping that maybe there would be a few in there. But the early reports we got was that they really weren't. They did have Xboxes, but it was your basic doorbuster experience where they said it was chaotic it was kind of crazy and the ones who got here just before seven said it's nuts we're out of here that sucks god Bertha, thank you I've got to tell you i don't miss uh, black friday shopping early in the morning at all very quick question bertha did you have a chance to walk through the mall i want to know are stores closed down in there are they empty or are there empty stores more than you normally see or are all the stores still open and really, ready for that kind of uh, delivery and pickup? Now, to be honest, I uh, haven't really walked through the mall. They just open at 7. Normally, they open much later in the morning, and a lot of these retailers have restricted hours because of social distancing and, frankly, for their staff to be able to restock things. A lot of them are using their stores to fulfill those online orders. The, the biggest sort of right. lines that you are likely to see today will be people coming to pick things up. 
For more on this year's holiday shopping outlook, we're joined right now by Bill Simon. He's the former president and CEO of Walmart U.S., also by Steve Sadoff, who's the former chairman and CEO of Saks, also currently a senior advisor for MasterCard. Um, Steve, I just want to start with you and ask about the department stores, because it's a very different story than what we've seen from the big boxes all year long, the big box retailers. How are they doing right now? I know there was a big buildup heading into Black Friday, but what, what would you think they're going to look like come the, the end of the holiday shopping season in terms of how it matches up to last year? Well, I think what you're finding in the overall retail market is that it's a far improved season than anybody had anticipated. If you look at the month of October, the MasterCard spending pulse numbers were up, up over 4%. In the first half of November, we saw a plus 5.8%. So you're seeing underlying growth and strength in the consumer, especially at the higher end consumer is coming back. The department stores have been much slower than uh, some of the others. They've seen growth in their online business. Overall online business is growing in the 40 to 50% range and is about 20% of commerce, but the department stores have struggled. I think that you've seen some improvement over the last number of months. There's a lot of optimism for the department stores. Clearly in a post-vaccine world, the stocks have performed exceptionally well in the last uh, couple of weeks, but I think the department stores were a difficult sector coming into the pandemic, and they're going to continue to be struggling relative to some of the other uh, category killers and the big box retailers who have expanded the number of categories that they're playing in. Yeah, Bill, let's talk about Walmart and what these other big box retailers are doing. Um, they've been knocking it out of the park all year. They're not willing to put up numbers either to give any sort of guidance on what they're, they're going to see this year because it's just been such an unpredictable year and, and consumer trends tend to change so quickly. But I, I had been kind of wondering about the health of the consumer, especially at the lower end. You think that'll really push through this holiday season as people lose some of the benefits they've had to this point and as jobs um, have really come under pressure, especially as some of the states and, and, and local municipalities have kind of cracked down again because of COVID? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, you're right. Um, the, they've been remarkably buoyant. The consumer's been remarkably buoyant throughout all of this. Uh, but as unemployment starts to tail off um, and as we get into what looks like uh, another tough stretch. I think it could get a little bit worse. But the really interesting thing to see has been how they've all tried to extend Black Friday. I mean, Black Friday, they, they've been trying to do that for for years and haven't had any success. And this might just be the year that they pull it off. It's really interesting for the big box stores, Walmart, Target particularly. They're moving from a channel where they're completely dominant in their physical footprint and where they have market shares in the 30s and 40s to an online channel where, as you know, as Bertha just reported, Amazon has two-thirds of the market. So they're moving from a, a position of a channel of dominance to a channel where, channel where they're a distant second. And they're going to have to catch up very quickly, or they're going to try to change the calendar back to be more physical and more Black Friday because they're not going to like the result. Bill, I have a retail 101 question for you. How much do I buy when I go into a store that I didn't intend to buy? And, and how much does it matter to retailers that I'm buying it online and not in the store and going away with stuff I didn't go in for to begin with? Well, that's the whole story. You hit, you hit it just exactly. You know, Black Friday, if you just sell the deals, um, you're gonna lose money. It's just not set up that way. You've gotta sell the wrapping paper and the Christmas lights and the candy canes and everything else that goes with it or you're just not going to make it. And I worry that 
uh, you know, the online sales are just going to cherry pick. Um, you know, online is marginal, margin challenged as well. Shipping constraints, we talked about that just a little bit ago, are going to be tough. Um, it's already at capacity. And as people wait, they're going to be really disappointed if they order anything past about the 10th of December because it's just not going to get there. So it's going to be challenging. Yeah, I think, Steve, one of the questions there is the, the importance of this buy online, pick up in store, because that's where you do get some of the margin enhancement. So online shopping, especially with low end uh, uh, price points, is very difficult online. When you get the buy online, yeah, pick up in store I mean, and the big boxes have do done it well, that really does win. The whole the whole shtick doesn't work, right? If the whole thing, if the Black Friday discounts were a loss leader, you bring them in to upsell them on some other stuff, and now all you got is the loss leaders with no upselling to anything. I, I don't see how the whole game, the whole Black Friday game works this year with, with online. Yeah, I think it's well, going to be tough. Part of the question, oh, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And as, as, as Steve said, buy online, pick up in store is better. But, you know, you, it, it's not great because you can't pay somebody to put it on the shelf and pay somebody else to take it off the shelf and still do well with it. <laughs> yeah, I think the only benefit, Steve, that you do have is that people are surfing the web and they're, they're staying at home, they're thinking differently, and they're actually looking not just for the deal, but they're finding other things as well. So you go to a Walmart or Target, you're seeing them picking up a lot of other categories than uh, than they traditionally would have. Apparel I would have never have thought would have been as strong in some of these uh, big boxes. Steve, Bill, thank you both. Great to see you. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Many families are actually breaking longstanding traditions this year because of the pandemic. However, the retailers may be getting a boost in some other ways. Contessa Brewer joins us right now from Kingston, New York, where things are lit up early. Contessa, it's great to see you. I mean, it is so awesome to see all of these holiday lights. Today, you wouldn't be surprised to see it, but a lot of families have a hard and fast rule. No trees, no wreaths, no Christmas lights until after Thanksgiving. But come on, guys, this is 2020. There are a lot of rules now that are out the window, a lot less over the river and through the woods and a lot more deck the halls. It has started earlier than ever. Families pulling out the blow-up figurines for the front yard, putting up artificial trees way before Turkey Day. It's just that there's this real need for something merry and bright to dispel the real Grinch of a pandemic. Target, Home Depot, and Lowe's, they're ready to fill the need. They've mentioned on their earnings calls the enthusiasm they saw at Halloween, the promotions that they're rolling out to help consumers, who are spending so much time at home. And if you're the kind of Black Friday viewer who wants some hard and fast numbers about, well, how sales are gonna happen at the holidays, uh, here at Adams Fair Acre Farms where sales of holiday items from October 1st to this week, how about this, up 56% over last year, even before Thanksgiving. It's pretty remarkable, Becky. It is. But add me to the list on this. We've had our Christmas trees up for a week at this point. We got three this year. We got fake ones because we were afraid they were going to be dead by the time Christmas got around this time next year. But we needed the lights. Put the rest of the lights up yesterday. And I will admit, for the first time in my life, something I never thought I'd do. Yesterday on Amazon, I ordered one of those eight-foot blow-up Santa Claus things with a Christmas tree <laughs> and a teddy bear all for the yard. Never thought I'd do that. 
But the four-year-old really liked the neighbor's black cat down the street at Halloween. Maybe go every day to visit the black cat. So we're getting Santa, and he's going to be on the yard come Tuesday. So you're you partaking in the whole Griswold thing where you got to best the neighbors. We're going to see a lot more of these displays coming up because if you can't invite the neighbors over for a holiday cocktail party, what can you do? You can show up bigger and better than ever. That is if you can get to this day without, you know, big. Well, there's a big brawl in my household because we had a hard and fast rule that I decided we should change this year and somebody else did not. So there was that. I got to go home and deal with that today. <laughs> I'm with you, Contessa. This is a year to throw out all the rules. And by the way, it does look like the Griswolds over here, but our neighbors are a lot nicer than the Griswolds. Anyway, great to see you, Contessa. <laughs> I love the story. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, will holiday cheer make its way to Wall Street? It's bonus season, but maybe not for everyone. The mere fact that trading businesses, especially fixed income on Wall Street, have done well may not be enough to ensure that people in other parts of the bank get good bonuses. The New York Times' Kate Kelly and Vanity Fair's Bethany McLean talk Wall Street perks right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Despite a jump in revenue, Bank of America can reportedly considering keeping bonuses for its trading, trading staff flat this year. Um, be an interesting development. Joining us right now to discuss what the economic and political environment could mean for bonuses across Wall Street is Kate Kelly, reporter from The New York Times, and of course, the CNBC contributor, and Bethany McLean, Vanity Fair, and CNBC contributor. Good morning to both of you. Happy Thanksgiving. Let's talk about bonuses and, and the environment we're living in today. This Bank of America story is kind of fascinating because obviously the trading revenue has uh, gone up materially, and yet it sounds like the bonuses will not. What's happening, Kate? Well, B of A is a bank that I've done some reporting on this year, Andrew, as you know. And uh, I think part of the reason that employees were concerned this year about being asked to come to the office, among other things, when the virus uh, was at its worst, in some cases on the trading floor, is that there was some hard feelings over pay. So I think last year, um, the feeling was that they weren't as well paid as they could have been. And there's this whole mantra floating around, like, flat is the new up. I think the agent you see operating this year is the sort of weakness in the retail and consumer aspects of banking across the board, which of course has a huge effect on B of A, which I think touches one in two American households in one way or another with one of its products. So the mere fact that trading businesses, especially fixed income on Wall Street, have done well may not be enough to ensure that people in other parts of the bank get good bonuses. So, uh, Bethany, let me let me ask you, when you think about sort of the bonus picture, how much do you think politics is going to come into this in terms of where we are in this moment? Because we are sort of you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's that element. Yet the market has obviously run straight ahead of it. What can the banks do in terms of pay or not? 
I think it's a really tricky issue, and it's going to be a tale of haves and have-nots on Wall Street in the sense that private um, firms are going to have an opportunity to pay people in a way that the big publicly traded banks are not, because the big publicly traded traded firms are both are wrestling with the overall political environment, and they're wrestling with their corporate clients who are struggling terribly, and paying huge bonuses at a time when your clients are are, are struggling just, just isn't isn't a good look. And yet the trading businesses at these firms have dramatically outperformed this year, as Kate, as Kate noted. So it's, it's going to be a tricky issue for, for, for the big firms to navigate. Kate, though, the question is, can these, can these traders effectively go elsewhere? Are we going to continue to see what's been described for a long time as the brain drain away from the publicly traded big banks towards the private equity firms, towards the hedge funds and the like, where, frankly, there isn't the same kind of scrutiny? So I think that's an important part of the backdrop, Andrew, and I think uh, we've seen some high-profile departures, just a handful, uh, recently, um, and I think that is indicative of the fact that it's a very tense kind of market for hiring. If you're if you're an outperformer, if you're a great producer, you're probably always going to have job offers, and you may make a move right now, even though it means that your 2020 bonus will be impacted, uh, especially if you're leaving early. Uh, normally, you wouldn't see these departures, as you know, until the first quarter of the year after bonuses have cleared the bank account, or even the second quarter when people have a chance to catch their breath and really interview around. But I think there's a feeling that, you know, we've had a very tough year economically. There are bright spots on the horizon over uh, vaccines and perhaps more predictability coming out of a Biden administration. But that doesn't mean that we're going to be out of the woods for another six to even nine or 12 months, depending on who you talk to. So it may not be easy to hop firms. You may want to stay where you are, even if you're unhappy with pay. And again, unless you're one of those very top players, at which point you're probably always going to have an offer. If you need one, you're going to stay put. Bethany, what's, what's your sense of the way the, the incoming Biden administration is going to think about Wall Street? And the reason I ask is, if you remember, right after uh, President Obama was uh, inaugurated uh, and took the job, there was a lot of uh, rhetorical back and forth, let's just say. It was in the aftermath of the financial crisis. He called the bankers fat cats. There were the comments about you didn't build this. It created this this sort of unique animosity, though there were progressives who said he didn't go far enough. And, of course, uh, folks on the other side who, who, who were, uh, you know, you know, very upset about the kind of language he was using. Um, where do you think Biden is going to land in that kind of debate? I think it's still TBD, but I also don't think the banks, given that it is still TBD, the banks don't want to draw scrutiny to themselves in the way they did in the aftermath of the financial crisis. Obviously, it's a completely different picture. That was an economic calamity in large part caused by the banks, and their return to paying huge bonuses right after they've gotten a bailout was an enormous part of the anger at them. In this case, the banks, the big banks have actually come through this um, well, thanks in part, I think, to much tougher capital rules in the, wake of, in the wake of the financial crisis. But the last thing they want is to draw political animosity where there isn't much at, 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 at this point. So I think that adds to the tension that the big firms face. And just to echo what the brilliant Kate Kelly said, um, I think I think it is. It's the big performers are always going to have a place to go, but but for a lot of people, it's tricky. It's not like you just waltz out and go start a hedge fund these days if you didn't get the pay you wanted. It's a very different environment than it was than it was even a couple of years ago. Thank you both. Uh, appreciate it very very much. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. 
Good to see you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Coming up on Squawk Pod, an impressive nine-month run for Bitcoin, and then a wild holiday swing. Cracking crypto and its impact on the global currency system is next. I don't know anything about where Bitcoin is going or is it a buyer or sell. I do know one thing I'm pretty darn sure about, which is that the sovereign will never lose control of its currency. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. You know, the music gets you into a bit of a holiday spirit. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick. Steve Leisman is hanging out with us uh, on this day after Thanksgiving. Uh, Joe is off uh, this week. Bitcoin has been moving all over the place. Very volatile trading uh, this week. Uh, the cryptocurrency soared above 19,000. That happened on Tuesday for the first time in nearly three years. Close an all-time high, but check out what happened. Some people have been calling it the Thursday uh, Thursday Night Massacre, or I think was, was, was the thing I was seeing trending on Twitter for, for a while there. Um, you're looking at that uh, at Bitcoin now at 16,809. Uh, it's come down. And why? Uh, well, a thread, uh, a tweet thread, I should say, from Coinbase's CEO about rumored plans for regulation by the Treasury. So uh, the CEO of uh, Coinbase took to, took to Twitter, effectively uh, said that he heard rumors and is aware that the Treasury, as one of the last acts under Treasury, uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, uh, may very well try to regulate Bitcoin, uh, not regulate it maybe how you think, but um, make it such. I would have actually thought this could be eventually bullish for Bitcoin, but maybe not. Make it such that um, what are called private wallets um, not that they wouldn't be allowed, but you'd have to effectively have full disclosure over who is transferring money from one place to another. So if a Coinbase, which would be a, a, a not a private wallet, but a, 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 an institutionalized wallet, were to transact with somebody that had a quote unquote private wallet, that you'd actually have to get, you'd have to have uh, what's called the CYA. You'd have to know what, who, they, who they are. You'd have to know your customer, right? Um, and in this case, he's saying that that would be a very bad thing for Bitcoin which then raises the question of, well, if you can't know your customer, is there a problem with Bitcoin unto itself? Meaning, what are people using Bitcoin for? So, uh, but that is uh, what's put some pressure Andrew, uh, on that stock. Andrew, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't call it a stock, but I gotta, it looks like gotta, one these days. Yep. I have a question, Andrew, about the typical Bitcoin investor. Do they really believe that this currency, I don't know what to call it exactly, this item, this thing, is going to allow to become essential? method of currency 
in a country without substantial regulation from either the Treasury or the central bank. Um, they have to be trading this and believing in this, this uh, particular thing. I don't know what to call it, but uh, with some belief that if it takes off and becomes a central method for e exchange, that it will be regulated. They won't allow this stuff to happen in, in a way that you don't know your customer. They won't allow it to uh, work or behave in a way where it becomes central to the monetary uh, workings of a country without substantial regulation. I, I don't know what they think, but the idea that they're expecting no regulation and success of the right. currency seems to be so a bit at odds. So I would say today, most people who are invested in Bitcoin think of it as a commodity, not a currency yet. Right. With the upside okay. potentially being a prospective currency in the future. You're seeing what PayPal has done in terms of being able to transact using it. You don't really transact using it. You effectively transfer Bitcoin to somebody and it immediately turns into U.S. dollars if you're a retailer, for example, that we're going to somehow accept Bitcoin. So it's, it's almost like becoming a quasi currency, if you will. I would have thought hearing that the government wants to regulate it would have actually been a bullish sign long term for Bitcoin, because it would have meant that it could be more yeah. and more mainstream, which would have allowed more people Except to invest the, in it. I was surprised, actually. Was. I would have thought that it, with the government regulating it, that actually more people might ultimately use it. Now, yes, it makes it harder it, to transact with people in other mm -hmm. countries. That is 100 percent clear. It makes it yeah. harder to for criminals to use to use it. That's 100 percent clear. So if 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 it is if the whole thing is used for money laundering, if that's the purpose of Bitcoin, yes, the whole thing falls apart. But if it isn't, I would have thought that this would be long term helpful to it. The, the one thing I would say is if we can look at Bitcoin, we've looked at a bunch of different uh, time measurements. If you can go back nine months on this in the last nine months, Bitcoin is up more than 400 percent, almost fivefold. And I, I think this is a little bit of the explanation that this is a really volatile trading instrument, that this is not something that you're, you're mm -hmm. that I should say, it's something where you see a, a lot of speculation that's taking place and, and people who have bid it up and then get nervous and, and drive back down. And I think there was some sort of intonation that this regulation would be a little more heavy handed than than some might like, because I think the, the Bitcoin investor wants to see. Yes, you're right. Um, approval by governments, and that would require some regulation, but they just want it to be a very light touch and not be anything that really shuts things down too much. But I think more than anything is just look at the price and, and how far it's come and how quickly that run has been. And it's not all that surprising to see a big pullback. But again, anytime you lose $3,000 off of a 19000 and change price over the course of 24 hours, you've got to sit up and take it, pay attention. But still, look at that chart and where it's run since March. Becky, I, I, I just want to button this up with one comment, which is I don't know anything about where where Bitcoin is going or is it a buyer or sell. I do know one thing I'm pretty darn sure about, which is that the sovereign will never lose control of its currency. So whatever that mm -hmm. means for how high and how how uh, widespread Bitcoin can become as a means of exchange. And I, I, I take uh, Andrew's point that it's a, it's seen right now as a commodity. But thinking about its horizons as a means of exchange, the sovereign will never lose control of its currency. That, pardon the pun, you can take to the bank. Okay. Well, we 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 will see, and uh, I imagine you'll 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 be getting some uh, some Twitter love and hate in just a moment uh, as a result of that yeah. comment. But meantime, I want to tell you a little bit more in crypto Probably. land. 
This could also be bullish. Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency may launch as early as January, this coming according to the Financial Times, which says the currency's governing body, the Libra Association, will issue a single digital coin backed by the U.S. dollar. Now, coins backed by other currencies could come at a later date. You might recall that uh, when Libra first launched, um, there was a lot of excitement about what that would mean for, again, digital wallets, because not only would they maybe hold things like Libra, they might hold things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and other kinds of coins. Then that program seemed to falter and fall apart. It has now been resurrected. We'll see whether people get excited about that now. Steve? All right, Andrew, you keep track of all that stuff because I sure can't. Steve, Andrew and I have enjoyed having you with us today. Thanks for being here. It's great to see you. Pleasure. Thanks. Andrew, Steve, everybody Happy else. Happy Thanksgiving, have a great everybody. Weekend. And thanks for listening to Squawk Pod. Our podcast is a hybrid that we hope offers you the smartest moments and best conversations from our three-hour morning show with a little extra. And that is thanks to the Squawk Box TV anchors, Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Squawk Pod is produced by me, Katie Kramer, Cameron Costa, and Caroline O'Brien. Our editor, mixer, and jack-of-all-trades is John Lazration. Special shout-out to the essential Squawk Box control room team, who keep it moving every day. And the bookers and producers who bring us the show's great content, from their dining tables, Zoom school rooms, and brand new bedroom desks across the New York area. If you like what you hear, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Share us with a friend. We'll meet you back here on Monday. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.